Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is David Walker, and on today's special podcast, we continue our review of the Dimitrov years with the Atlanta Falcons. To help me with this task, I've invited a special guest to join me on each of these episodes as we break down the trades, free agent signings, and draft picks made in the Thomas Dimitrov era. My guest today is the one and only Charles McDonald, senior writer at For the Win and previously with SB Nation, and of course, our very own thefalcoholic.com. Charles, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it always feels good to come back and uh, you know talk with the people who uh, I, who I, I think really helped me get my career off off the ground. So uh, the Falcons finally, you know, we're, we're we're going back in time, but you know we're uh, recording some day that uh, Arthur Smith and uh, Terry Fontenot were uh, uh, hired or officially announced as the uh, the mm-hmm. GM and head coach together. So. It's a it's a celebratory day for us here in Falcons Land. We're gonna, you know, take take some time to feel good because these moments don't come too often for us. <laughs> Spoken as a true Falcons fan. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. And actually, I, I think this is going to be a fun year to talk about. Uh, as you noted, with the Falcons having a new GM, we are talking about what Thomas Dimitrov did in his 12, 13 years uh, with the Falcons. And we're going to talk about the 2016 season. This is the second year under Dan Quinn. So let me set the stage here before we jump into it. Uh, Obviously, the previous year, the Falcons finished 8-8 and in their first year under new head coach Dan Quinn. Uh, That was after a 5-0 and start, so a little bit of a frustrating finish to that season. Uh, Many people went into 2016 wanting to see Kyle Shanahan fired. Boy, how things have changed since that point in time. Obviously, this was the season where the Falcons uh, did end up having one of the best statistical offenses of all time. Matt Ryan won the MVP, and of course, the team went to the Super Bowl, and we won't talk about what happened after that. But let's talk about what happened to put this team together. So, Charles, I want to talk about free agency because uh, you know, before we get into the draft, this draft class is going to be fun to talk about, no doubt. But this free agent period arguably may be one of the best uh, that Thomas Dimitrov had with the team ever. And that's considering, you know, the 2008 season when they brought in uh, Michael Turner to help a rookie quarterback get his legs under him in the NFL. So I want to talk about some of the guys who left the team first, uh, because there's actually some notable names here. I want to get your thoughts on some of these guys and what they meant to the team and what their departures meant. And if you feel like the the moves made sense to move on from some of these guys. And obviously the top of the list, um, you still love him today is uh, wide receiver Roddy White, who was released on March 2nd. He ended up retiring the following season. I think he had intimated that he may go play in Tampa. That never actually happened. Um, But that was probably the biggest notable name that got cut uh, in that offseason. So I just want to give him a little bit of airtime apart from some of the other cuts. Uh, Were you shocked or surprised when Roddy was released by the team, given his extensive history and a lot of success in his career with Atlanta? Uh no, I wasn't all that surprised just because of how bad uh I guess the 2015 season was for him. Like just yeah. not mincing words the, about what that looked like. I mean, I know because I, I remember during that season, that 2015 season, like, there were uh fans who were upset with Shanahan for the way that Roddy was being used and that his production wasn't up to standards, but in reality, you know, it's just, it was time. Like he was kind of over the hill. And I think the fact that uh, he never really even sniffed another NFL roster after that season kind of uh, said a lot of where he was in his career, but it, it, was, it was one of those moments where I wasn't sad uh, or, or where I was sad, but like I was also expecting to come just because 
you know, that early into the uh, career of Dan Quinn and in the Thomas Dimitrov marriage, like you, you kind of just want to get a chance to shape and build your own team. So it, it was sad to see him go, but I think in a in a just a strict football sense, it, it made a lot of sense for that move to happen. Yeah, and it seemed like. In, in fairness, his wheels were, had started to come off even before the 2015 season. I think even to 2014, it was becoming clear that he wasn't the receiver he once was. Um, two names also drafted by Dimitrov that the team ended up moving on from. Uh, strong safety William Moore, who was cut February 8th, and defensive end, outside linebacker, safety, reality TV star Corey Bierman. <laughs> Um, so your thoughts on those two guys? Cause again, uh, neither guy ended up playing for another team after that cut. Yeah. Uh, I mean, William Moore, like he, that's a, that's a legend right there too. Uh, and I just, I, I liked that and we'll get to it later, but, uh, it, it was cool that they, uh, were able to, to replace him with, uh, Keanu later that off season. But, <laughs> uh, you know, with him, it's kind of the same thing, like where it's a, a, a Falcons legend and someone that you obviously hold with high regard in terms of team history. But it was just kind of time to move on. Uh, he, he like he, he really had trouble staying healthy. And that's like not not all his fault, but it can't be ignored when you're like trying to evaluate how play, players will fit uh, long term with your team. And, and it got to a point where it was just time time for both parties just kind of move on from each other and with Beerman you know like if Beerman's funny because in the in the moment of like playing with Croy Beerman and and watching that on your team it it can definitely seem like uh this stinks <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh you, you you want to do better and obviously you can do better but you know in in the way that they they spent so many assets and like didn't even do that great job of replacing him it kind of makes me a little more fond for the core beaming years like man we had this dude who was like, a, <laughs> like a, a late round pick and just stepped in and was an integral part of the team like he, he played with the falcons longer than like vic and Tech did and yeah like, Jesus, he did <laughs> so like, obviously like when you're in a situation that beerman was in and the falcons were in where uh, you know, someone of his talents is playing that many snaps. It's not going to look pretty, but like if he had, if he had come in and he was like your third or fourth defensive end, I think we all would have loved Corey. Yeah, I think that's perfectly said. He was one of those guys that his performance for his draft stock was probably more than acceptable, but they kept trying to put him out there as a top tier uh, defensive end. You know, the, a starter on that line, it just never worked. But and that's no fault of his own. Right. Uh, what is his fault is those uh, red contact lenses, which I don't think I will ever forget. Those are scary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and not in like a, oh man, like this guy looks like a badass kind of way. I was like, this is <laughs> kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> scary as a, a grown man can make these life decisions and still uh, make a lot of money in the NFL. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Some of the other guys released, uh, and I'm going to group some of these together. Um, wide receiver Devin Hester, uh, who I think some people forgot was on the team, but he was actually with the Falcons for a couple of years. Um, defensive ta- tackle Paul Soliai, uh, who moved on to the Panthers. Uh, linebacker Justin Durant, who was here just for 2015. He ended up signing with the Cowboys. Um, you'll love these last few names. Uh, quarterback TJ Yates, the TJ Yates era ended in Atlanta. Um, offensive tackle Jake Long. <laughs> wow. Uh, center Gino Gradkowski and linebacker Nate Stupar. So, uh, out of those remaining names, are there any that you want to put any particular emphasis on? I know it's kind of a, a, a weird mix of names there. Uh, you know, one, one interesting name is uh, Soliak. Cause I remember when I, before I left the Daily News uh, back in October, I actually interviewed uh, Dan Quinn uh, before the end of the season and we talked a little bit about. Uh, this move where, because you remember, like in 2015, they had the big, bulky defensive line with uh, Soul oh, yeah. and Tyson Jackson. Tyson Jackson. Yeah. And it was like they were like decent at stopping the run sometimes, not so great at stopping the run other times, but always bad at rushing the passer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I talked to I talked to DQ about it. He was like, like this, this move was like very deliberate where, you know, you, you kind of look at the NFL and, and you see that these 
you know, 340, 350 pound guys are kind of dying out unless you're just rare, like Vita Vea or, or some of that nature. You can also right. uh, rush a pass or two. So like that move to move away from Soli, I wasn't more, What it wasn't so much as about Soli as talents because I thought that, you know, he still has some nice moments. It's kind of like the anchor of, of that defense uh, in that season, but it was more just like a, a philosophy shift of, of just trying to get faster along the defensive line. And uh, uh, I thought that that was an interesting uh, little tidbit of information that you gave me during that. Yeah, it was interesting. It, it, he was actually a, a fairly decent uh, defensive tackle. I mean, yeah, more of a two down uh, run stopping defensive tackle, but not a guy that uh, you would look at and say, oh, well, his performance is terrible. I actually like Soli, but to your point, it, it really didn't seem to fit the what Dan Quinn wanted to do on defense. Um, all right, let's talk about some of the guys they retained because uh, there's actually a few names here which we'll have a little bit of fun with, but I want to start with the biggest contract that they awarded to one of their existing players, and that was right tackle Ryan Schrader. They gave him a five-year deal worth just under $32 million. Um, At the time, I, I felt like this was a great move. There were other right tackles who were waiting to get deals, and they actually signed Schrader for a little bit under what the market was offering. And, and obviously he ended up playing a few more years before he ended up retiring. But what were your thoughts on Schrader and, and, you know, that undrafted, you know, guy out of Valdosta who really came in and had to sit behind Jeremy Trueblood for a year. <laughs> uh, man, the Schrader, Schrader's career is so fascinating because like not, not just in that 2016 season, but even the years after, like he was good. Uh, mm-hmm. like, a, like not just, like a just a starting quality guy, but you know there's a uh, even like a two and a half year stretch there where he was considered like a top five right tackle in football. And then yep. I, I like I don't really know what happened if it was just injuries or whatever. But uh, you know that that rise and fall is just always going to be uh, one of those moments where you look at the NFL. It's just like man, like this stuff happens so quick. Like he went from being yeah. a guy who was not really seen to be part of the future of the roster to one of the best right tackles in the league to out of the league and all like a two, three year span. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just think it's, I, I just think it's kind of cool. Like the idea of having just like a homebred guy like that, that comes in and grinds it out and then gets a contract. And then, uh, you know, they got to the mountaintop, but didn't quite get to the uh, top of the mountain, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was obviously a huge part of their success. And I think, and I think, you know, it's kind of weird, like even going back to Roddy and, and Willie Moe, like they just didn't get another, like they didn't really get sniffed at after uh, uh, he left the Falcons. Like I, I think he had some time with the Vikings or like where they worked him out for a little bit or something. But after mm-hmm. that, like he, he never really uh, latched on with another team, which is it's the kind of sad for him. Yeah. It, I think by the PFF metrics, like you said, for a couple of years there, he was at the top of the list. He was one of the the top guys and, and it, and it showed up on the field too. You know, mm-hmm. the, in that case, the advanced metrics uh, matched up with his play. Um, next name on the list, uh, right guard, Chris Chester. I think he was 48 years old when he signed this contract. Uh, one year deal <laughs> worth 2.3 million. I'm kidding. He was like 47. Um, I actually feel like, you know, he he may have been, quote unquote, the weak link on the line, but I actually feel like he was not appreciated enough for his time in Atlanta. What are your thoughts on Chester in that 2016 offensive line? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Like, I, I don't I, – like, he wasn't a great player, but I, I don't think that a lot of their success happens on the ground without him. And mm-hmm. just to get someone that was familiar with – uh, Shanahan scheme and like you just sandwich him in between Alex Mack and uh, without well Schrader was playing like that was more than a good enough option for them uh, yep. at, at that time uh, and you know like some of those some of those bigger run plays like even for a guy who was you know 58 68 years old at the time <laughs> <laughs> he could uh, he, he could still move like pretty well like on those outside zone plays and uh you know, like I, I think that he played a huge factor in how explosive that running game was uh, mm-hmm. during the 2016 season. And you know, I, I think it, one of the interesting things I think if you go back and look at the uh, the uh, 2016 Falcons is like they produce a lot of big plays, but they also had a lot of negative plays in the backfield. Uh, and I think that you know, 
that's maybe where you see some of the talent deficiencies. But I, I feel like if you're going to sign a guy for as little as they did to come in and start like basically every game for you and play almost every snap of offense, he did more than a good enough job based on what he was paid and, and, and what the actual results were. Yeah, two point three million for a uh, starting right guard is uh, cheap by today's standards. Um, all right, next name on the list. Uh, <laughs> I completely forgot he was even on this roster. Linebacker Paul Warlow was re-signed to a one-year deal worth two and a half million. Um, when I when I was going through and researching this, and his name popped up. First of all, the the first thing that popped in my head was Whirly Woo. Uh, which I think one of the the writers at the time kept calling him, couldn't get his name right. Um, and then I just remembered uh, just the constant jokes about grittiness and <laughs> and hard work. Um, but you know, Warlow is one of those. He's he's a feel good story. You know, one of those undrafted free agents that comes in and you know finds a way to make the roster and somehow carves out like a six seven year NFL career out of it. Uh, what are your thoughts on Warlow and uh, the fact that the Falcons did bring him back? Yeah, I, well, okay. So at the time, I was like, "Damn, we're stuck with this again." Because Warlow, he was so weird. Because like, if you just looked at the numbers and you just looked at the stats, like leading up until like Deion Jones got to Atlanta, you would think Warlow was like one of the best linebackers the NFL ever seen, just based on how many tackle numbers he would rack up. But then you actually watch the game and you see, like, oh, okay, like th- these aren't like high quality tackles uh, <laughs> and it, like, like they're coming like, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 yards down the field. And like, it's, right. not, it's not his fault every time, but he's definitely playing a big role in where some of these plays are, are getting stopped where he's making the stop. So, uh, and I thought another funny thing was like, if you go back and you look at Warlow's, um, like his NFL draft combine page or, or his pro day page, just based on the numbers that were reported, He's basically like one of the most like athletic linebackers to ever step on it, <laughs> and I think that all of us who watch him know that that's not true. And you know, I <laughs> when when Dion and Devondre got there, and he took a back seat, he was a little better that year. Uh, like when he wasn't on the field for a hundred percent of the plays, but mm-hmm. I, I got to say, like when that signing was announced, I I definitely sweated a little bit, and I I, I and now like looking back, I feel bad because. Uh, so in 20, 2019, Warlow was actually on the Jets practice squad when I was covering the Jets for the Daily News. And <laughs> no kidding, I'm, I'm in the locker room, and uh, I didn't know that he got signed. I was in the locker room, and I I uh, saw like a Paul Warlow name tag on one of the lockers. I was like, oh man, like you know, I should go introduce myself like as a a, a noted Paul Warlow hater slash Falcon. <laughs> And I, I talked to him, and he's, like, the nicest person ever. Like, he had so many complimentary things to say about the Falcoholic and Gina and, like, all these other people that we knew uh, from Falcons days. And we were just talking wow. about I was like, oh, man, like, this guy's the man. And I was so mean to him online over the football <laughs> stuff. And I'm just sitting there talking to him, like, having such a great conversation with him. In the back of my mind, I was like, oh, God, I've said so many foul things about this nice guy <laughs> that's standing right in front of me for no reason. For no reason. <laughs> oh, you know what? You, you got to admire the fact the guy got paid. Yeah, he, yeah. He got into the NFL. Uh, what it was it? Delaware, I think. Yeah, yeah. some something like that. Yeah, some you know small rinky dink school, and and Buddy got a couple of contracts out of it. So, uh, God bless him. I, I liked Warlow as a person. He was a terrible linebacker. <laughs> was, was very good. Yeah, it, it, you know he was playing next to Joplu Bartu his rookie year. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, you know, as an ignorant fan, oh, maybe these guys have a future. Oh, God, how, how wrong I was. <laughs> All right. Let's go on to the guys that they signed because this, I think, is the, the most fun list. And, you know, I was telling you before we started recording, I was kind of surprised. I forgot how many guys they actually signed in free agency. Mm-hmm. But I want to start with the name at the top of the list because, in my opinion, and I want to get your thoughts on this, if you were to ask me of the free agents that uh, Dimitrov had signed, most people would say Michael Turner was the best. I would argue that this guy was the best free agent signing the Falcons ever made. And, of course, I'm talking about center Alex Mack. Five-year deal, $45 million. They essentially took him away from the Cleveland Browns where he was drafted, spent most of his career 
Um, what are your thoughts? Better than Michael Turner? Same? Less? Uh, Alex Mack? I I I I think I'm with you. I think he's the best free agent signing in team history. Like I, I get it because Michael Turner, like he had the nickname and just like the visual. It, like it's, it's easier for the average, average fan to just see like the visual contributions of running back on game day. But mm-hmm. like when you go back and you watch Alex Mack and like like honestly, 2020 was his first like year where you're like, eh, that wasn't so great. Uh, and you know, he was 31 when they signed him. So, like, he's had pretty good staying power. Uh, he, when, he, when he got signed, like, he was one of the top centers in the league, like, pretty much immediately. And, and he had some downtime in Cleveland. So I, I honestly applaud uh, Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitra for having that leap of faith and, and making that sign because it wasn't guaranteed to work out. But, like, he's just been so good uh, just – such a, just such a, a stalwart. Like he came in, and he played in multiple offenses, and he's played well uh, in all of them. I mean, I, I you just can't find enough th- good things to say about the guy. And yeah, you know, I, I talked to DQ about this one too, where he was saying like they identified center as one of their biggest needs that offseason because they just didn't have someone who one could snap the ball reliably, which was uh, <laughs> <laughs> during the 2015 season, uh, oh. and two. Like they just wanted someone who could come in and take some of the load off of Matt Ryan's plate when it came to like calling the protections and yep. getting everyone set. And I think that you know, especially in an offense where it's it, it, like guys say it takes a year to learn it to have a center that was like playing at an elite level that already knew the offense. Uh, I mean, I, I was kind of down on the signing because you're like, man, like we just gave a center all that money, but. Uh, like he absolutely was a big piece in transforming that offense and kind of making things easier for just about everybody. And I'll say this, that guy hit second level blocks mm-hmm. so fast. He could move as a center. And that was one of the stories about him was this guy loved to run and you would see it on the field. This guy would just shoot off the ball and so much fun to watch, especially in the the Shanahan's uh, Shanahan scheme, you know, obviously uh, Dirk Cutter used him a little bit differently. Uh, I don't want to talk about that too much, but uh, definitely in the in the zone, you know, wide zone. I think Mac was without him. I don't know that a Mike person um, is going to carry that offense uh, to a top ten all time finish in yards uh, per play and passer rating and in you know points per play or points per drive. Uh, without Matt, Alex Mack, I'm not sure that any of that happens. So yeah. Yeah, he was he was awesome. Like he was, just came in, stepped in Ryan's prime, and played like at an elite level. It was it was really cool to see because like they've they've missed a lot of uh, offensive linemen signings and draft picks. So like mm-hmm. it was just cool to see like you know at this point we just need a blue chip guy. Let's go get our blue chip guy, and he played like a blue chip guy. Yeah, made a couple All Pros in Atlanta as well. So and one of the rare times where a guy played out his entire contract, uh, mm-hmm. which is you just don't see that in the NFL these days. Right. Um, all right. Next name on the list. I can't believe I forgot this guy. Wide receiver Muhammad Sanu. Obviously, we talked about Roddy White uh, moving on, the, the team cutting him. Sanu was, I would say, a little bit controversial because you know, he, they gave him a five-year deal worth $32.5 million, um, which seemed a little bit rich uh, for a guy who you know was maybe not truly ever a wide receiver too in any offense. I think he worked out better than many people expected. Uh, what do you think? It was Sanu, was that too much money, or do you feel like he was still a good signing, uh, even if the money was a bit rich? Um, I, I mean, I, I think it was still a signing that helped the team. Like, I think the question with Sanu is, like, if we had found someone who's, I guess, uh, of similar talents, which I don't think would be too difficult to do, uh, <laughs> For less money, like I think that's probably where you're you're looking at. But I, I, to say he didn't make the team better would be a flat out lie. I mean, like just the difference between and, I, and Sanu can't touch Roddy White all time, but right. just the difference that you saw in a young Sanu versus an old Roddy in one year uh, made a huge difference. Uh, and was it an overpay? Yeah, but like uh, that's just also kind of the nature of free agency, where if if a guy hits the market. And other teams are interested. Like that's just basic, you know, common sense. You're gonna have to bid against other teams yep. uh, to get a guy. If that interest was out there, then you know they did it. And I think that they they just needed someone who could step in right away 
and and be a number two uh, next to Julio, which is what they were missing uh, so badly during the 2015 season. So, like, the process to get Sanu makes sense. Like, you need a physical guy who can come in. It's going to be, like, a, a safety valve for Matt Ryan. Like, how many times have we seen Sanu just make tough catches over the middle or, or find mm-hmm. his own and sit down and, and make the catch and fall down for first down? Like, his his skill set was valuable, like undoubtedly for the Falcons, even if he was overpaid. Or if you look at some of the advanced metrics, maybe uh, it it wasn't you know the the smartest signing. But <laughs> it, it's hard to 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 like watch with your eyes and understand like where the Falcons were before Sanuda got there and where they were after, and say that that signing was like a, a big failing, at least to me. Yeah, and I will say that I think the team that the Falcons were competing with. Uh, for his services in 2016, I think the other team was the Patriots, which uh, there's a little bit of foreshadowing for you there up there with uh, what one of the best trades Dimitrov would ever make uh, in, in his era was sending Sanu to the Patriots for a second rounder uh, several years later. Um, next guy on the list, and actually I was surprised at how small this contract was because I, I feel like he was a little bit of a value. Defense has been Adrian Claiborne, two-year deal, just $9 million. Uh, and I think for his productivity, what he did, you know, in the two years he was here, uh, more than outplayed, you know, a contract of that size. So what are your thoughts on Claiborne? Uh, Claiborne had a really nice run with the Falcons, I thought. Uh, like, just was a really solid player. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought that the two, the, the like, the two big defensive line signs they made that year were Claiborne and Shelby. Like, they both Shelby. served yep. – uh, different services where you know claiborne was more of like because at first if, I, if i'm not mistaken like they tried claiborne on the inside a lot too uh which was like kind of okay but i think that he was better on the outside and then shelby kind of gave him that versatility that they were looking for so it was kind of cool to see how they, they played off each other but you know clay he had a very very solid run uh in Atlanta, it was what two separate stints because that Patriots stint was in between. Yep. Uh, yep. So, I mean, I'm I I was always a, a big fan of seeing him play. He he had that ridiculous like six sack game against Dallas in 2017, <laughs> where he used one move to get six sacks, and he was like, "Yeah, <laughs> doing the same thing over and over." I, I remember uh, Alan Sturk. He asked me to like help him out with a film review on that, and I like at the the. The notes I wrote were just so lazy because it was like the, the, the same rip move every single time. I don't really know what else. <laughs> and some some fan in the comments was like, "Oh, this Charles McDonald guy is the laziest film breakdown I've ever read." <laughs> like, dude, like it was a lazy game. Like, I don't know what you want me to say, but uh, I, I, uh, I I I'm a big fan of Claiborne for for what he brought, and I thought that he was he was like to get the production that he did, even if it didn't if it didn't come with a lot of sacks, it was still a lot of pressure for mm-hmm. the the money that he got was, I think, just a home run signing for them. Yeah, and you mentioned Shelby as well. They brought him in, four-year deal worth $18 million. Uh, obviously, I think some injuries uh, kept him from ever really doing much for the Falcons after his first year. Um, <laughs> I completely forgot about defensive end slash linebacker Courtney Upshaw, who they brought in on the one-year deal worth a little over a million. Uh, those three guys, it seemed like they would rotate them in, like you said, trying the uh, interior pass rushers. I think Courtney Upshaw gained like 50 pounds between uh, 2015 and 2016. By the time he came here, they were using him like a defensive tackle at times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Upshaw was honestly pretty solid at defensive tackle. He was. He actually was pretty solid. Like I remember, uh, like you said, like he got there and he, like he was signed to the defensive end slash like outside linebacker type. Like I remember, I think I was. I when he got signed, we were talking about him was like a strong side linebacker in that scheme that can kick down and rush the passer off the edge. And then he showed up and he was like legitimately 300 pounds. And uh, <laughs> he played three technique. And like, as far as like that little rotation between, especially by like, by the end of the season, that little rotation with Grady Jarrett, Hagman, Babs and Upshaw, like they were actually cooking people on the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that came out of nowhere because right. because like like you know there have always been jokes like ah oh, Courtney Upshaw is a pretty heavy guy for a defensive end linebacker type dude and then he just went full on like once you have big I can get like let's go three tech <laughs> and he did it and he he did it pretty well like to get what he brought that season for 
like what's it 1.25 million yeah you do that every chance you get yeah um last name i want to put any kind of emphasis on because again i feel like this was a really good free agency period for dimitrov and they got him off of waivers from the browns on september 4th was wide receiver taylor gabriel a guy who ultimately would you know after a couple years of the falcons go on to uh, sign with chicago bears uh, he had one hell of a season in 2016 i think uh I want to say it was the Cardinals game mm-hmm. where they literally just had like the quick out and he turned two of them into like 45 yard touchdowns. Um, and of course he had that, that deep bomb that Ryan threw in the, uh, the green Bay Packers game in the regular season mm-hmm. uh, really became like a, a really nice piece in this offense. So uh, what are your thoughts on them sort of snatching up Gabriel, that small guy with the crazy amount of speed? Oh, it was so good because because Shanahan just knew how to use him perfectly. Uh, yep. And we haven't really seen that success from Taylor Gabriel and his other stops, and I'm glad that that's usually able to get him paid. Uh, but for that fit with Julio and Sanu, and then you just, like, you really just needed Gabriel for the most part to just almost be like a little extension of the running game. Like, where mm-hmm. you talk about that, that Cardinals game where they have the two screens that uh, Ryan throws, and still that, the, is he the first? I think it was the first one he scored where he caught it. And he weaved through like six Cardinals defenders, yeah. and down <laughs> untouched, and uh, that play was awesome. And it just kind of like like the ident like identifying that talent, and then being able to be like, okay, like this fits in with what we have in Julio. We already have a possession receiver. Let's go get our little scat guy who can run and, and create explosive plays with the ball in his hands on on uh, I guess less dangerous passes that are just like over to the flower to the side of the field. Like that was really cool. Uh, just talent identification by Atlanta's front office. And I actually have a, a kind of a funny <laughs> Taylor Gabriel story where it was after he scored that touchdown uh, against the Cardinals. And I posted the play that I was just talking about where he's weaving through the defenders. And he followed me on Twitter and he DM'd me. He was like, yo, here's my phone number. Upload these. <laughs> And then text them to me. I was like, "What?" He was like, "He was like, yeah, dude. Like, he's like, I want you to get on your phone and upload these, and then text me the link so I can have the highlights." Like, okay, like, <laughs> like I don't know why you're asking me, but okay. Uh, so, like, to this day, like, he still follows me on Twitter. We like, we still have each other's phone numbers, and it all started because he just wanted me to text him. That's play amazing. That. Like, I'm sure that he could get it from like literally anyone with the Falcons. If someone with the Falcons, right. Like, Hey, like if he would just text us some video person, can you cut up my touchdowns from last week and send it to me? Yeah, sure. But I guess he, he just saw it there and just was like giving it to me now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is, that's an amazing story and not at all surprising. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, <laughs> we're going to finish off the free agent discussion here with just a, a few remaining names. Um, they did sign uh, Matt Schaub, one-year deal, 2.75. I'm sorry. I should have said that properly. Falcons quarterback legend mm-hmm. Matt Schaub to a one-year deal for $2.75 million. Um, Sean Weatherspoon, linebacker, one year for $1.5 million. A.J. Hawk completely forgot he was on the roster. One year, $985,000. Uh, Leroy Reynolds, one year, 675000 And... <laughs> This I just included this because I remembered it as an obscure thing that happened. They signed a former Saints wide receiver, Lance Moore, who retired during training camp. <laughs> I don't know why. That just tickled me. Uh, any final thoughts on some of those last names? Uh, the Lance Moore stuff was funny. Like, we got some good jokes out of that when he retired <laughs> that fast. Because I think, like, a lot of us were like, when he signed – at least I was like, oh man, like I don't even care if he can help the team. I don't want that dude around. Just and yeah. it's not it's not because of Lance's personal or his character or anything like that. Like he he spent too much time in New Orleans for my liking for him to just come down to the Falcons and act like everything's sweet. So uh, <laughs> he uh, retired very quickly, and we got some jokes off that he was a, a Falcons legend for playing with the Saints for all those years and quitting on his first day with the Falcons. Because I do think it, <laughs> I do think. It was his first day of camp. He was like, ah, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore and retire. Yeah, it, it was, it was really early. And like you said, that field jokes for at least a week. It was, yeah. it was a good time. Um, all right. That covers free agency for 2016 under Thomas Mitroff. After the break, we're going to talk about the draft class and arguably one of the best draft classes that Thomas Dimitrov would ever have in his time in Atlanta. 
So before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And we're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is Dave Walker. I'm joined by Charles McDonald. We are talking about the 2016 season that former GM Thomas Dimitrov had with the Atlanta Falcons. We've talked about free agency. Let's talk about this draft class. This is a fun one. Uh, I want to get into it. Uh, round one, pick number 17. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that most Falcons fans, oh my goodness, the linebacker that went to the Jaguars. Um, wow. Miles Jack. Thank you. Most fans wanted the team to sign Miles Jack. And most people thought Jack was going to go like top five, top 10. Uh, last minute in the draft, I think, you know, some really concerning news came out about, you know, some injuries he had had. Uh, I think it was a, something with the knee, a microfracture of some sort. And I think fans were stunned and upset when they saw this initial pick. I think, Charles, you were on board with this pick when it was first made. And maybe I'm just giving you too much credit. But obviously, with pick number 17 in round one, the Falcons took strong safety Keanu Neal out of Florida and pissed off at least half of the fan base in one move. Obviously, this move uh, appears to have worked out. Um, Give me your thoughts on the pick at the time, the player, the fit, all of it. Uh, I was I was definitely cool with that pick at the time. Like I thought, ideally you would try to get him in the second round. But I think where the wherever the Falcons were picking that year, there was someone that was eyeing him to snatch him up before that. Like maybe even before the end of the first round. So that's just one of those situations. Like if you really have the conviction on a guy, you go ahead and you pull the trigger on it. And uh, I, like when I watched this tape at Florida, I was like, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if you draft this guy in the first round or the second round, but the fit for what you wanted out of that position in Dan Quinn's scheme, like when you, cause like the, the prototype is Cam Chancellor. Cam you Chancellor. Think about, uh, what Keanu was as the prospect coming out of Florida and the, the hitting style was obviously like a, the, the biggest plus or the most notable thing about Keanu Neal. Like we're, I mean, I remember like his rookie season. It's like he hits someone. It sounds like a damn car crash happened. <laughs> and that was cool to see. But, you know, I felt like that also kind of took away from some of the, the coverage stuff that he had at Florida that was really good. It's not like he was out here like Jalen Ramsey or something that's like a lockdown guy in coverage, but he could hold his own. And I thought that, you know, during his early time in Atlanta, especially like the 2016 and 2017 seasons, like the only guys who were really be- beating him before he got hurt were like elite tight ends. Like Travis Kelsey whooped his ass uh, in that Chiefs game. And, and like besides that, I feel like he was just really steady in coverage. And I thought that that showed mm-hmm. in his team at Florida. Uh, but, you know, you kind of get stuck in these these archetypes. And you, how, like how many how many safeties have you seen in the NFL that, can go out and crush someone to send to the hospital, but can't cover to save their right. lives. That's kind of the 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 things that people got afraid of with Keanu. Like, is this guy just a straight run defender? And and obviously, like he showed really early on that he was more than capable of holding his own as pass coverage. And I, I'm glad that he was able to kind of get his legs back this year because I thought by he had to shake some rust off, but I thought like by the end of the year or midpoint of the year, he was playing some really really good football. So yeah. Interested to see what happens uh, with that. I don't. I don't know if he's like quite as explosive as he was before the knee and the Achilles injuries. But man, like he's still a really good player, and I think that you know the the concerns that people had about Keanu weren't quite as I guess scary as as they needed to be at the time. Yeah, I think some people were thinking what you had said. Oh, they they could have gotten him in the second round, but. You know, as you noted, a lot of times, you know, these teams have to scout not only what they need, but look at what the other teams around them uh, may want. And it, 
I think they were sold on Neil being that tone setter for the defense. Uh, just as an anecdote, I, I will never forget because uh, I was a season ticket holder in 2016. I was in the 300 section, and it was the Saints game. And to this day, I've never seen an entire section of the crowd go completely silent as when Keanu Neal hit Willie Sneed. Um, that I was that in that game? Oh, that that stadium went quiet for a split second because I'm pretty sure most people thought he had killed Willie Sneed. Like there was a eerie quiet. I was like, oh my god. Uh, the as you said it, it, it perfectly said it sounded like a car crash. And I'm pretty sure that Willie Sneed's soul is still somewhere in the, the ground uh, of where the Georgia Dome used to be. That hit was brutal and so damn fun. Uh, and he had several like that in his yeah. rookie season. Yeah. But I, that that hit and the uh, the hit on Jimmy Graham at the goal line in 2017. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was so good. And like, like you said, that – that moment in Willie's like that, it feels like that kind of ended Willie Sneed's career almost. <laughs> because he never really had those moments like where he where you're like because I because before Willie got hurt that year, uh, everyone you're always like, oh man, like this dude's such a little pain in the ass. Like when when the Saints come to play and, and he's always just making like these these perfect plays at the wrong time and it's just annoying as hell. And then that hit comes around and he kind of disappeared until Lamar was. Uh, Lamar Jackson was off doing his thing uh, in the MVP season. So, uh, yeah, because I, I remember I was at that game with my dad, and I was talking to my dad and some other fans around us, and, like, the Georgia Dome was loud. Like, like especially for that last game where everyone's there, it was loud, man. And, and oh, I remember yeah. I was talking to someone, and I looked over in the field, and it, it, it sounded like a legitimate explosion. And like you said, everything, <laughs> everything went quiet. And they both kind of got up kind of shaky, but I was like, oh, man, like this dude's something serious. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm really hoping that they are able to find a way to to find some money to bring him back this year because I think that yeah. he, he should be a part of this new thing that they're about to build. I hope so. I think he's still only just 25. So, you know, still very – 25, 26 this year, uh, still very young. And, uh, you know, like you said, just finished the season so strong. All right, round two, pick number 52. Um, the Falcons took linebacker Deion Jones out of LSU. So they skipped Miles Jack and immediately addressed the linebacker position with Debo. Uh, obviously, this guy, he's been, in, in my opinion, and I think this has held up as well through the stats, one of the best coverage linebackers in the league since he's come in. Like He, he was really good in coverage. Um, even in his rookie year, uh, and you know his his support in the running game maybe is a little bit inconsistent, but this guy can fly. Uh, and I'll never forget that pick six of um, Drew Brees, where oh my god, who's their the fast wide receiver they had at the time um, couldn't even catch up with him. Uh, yeah, know, Debo just completely outran him. Yeah, the, the, I mean his presence that season was just game changing. Uh, Oh, like, man. like you said, the, the run defense has – I think with Dion, you just kind of got to accept that. The run defense won't always be pristine, but it's just like the – what you're exchanging for all the stuff he can do as uh, as a pass defender. I mean, this I'm, I'm looking at his, his pro, pro football reference page right now. How many linebackers have five touchdowns on interceptions? <laughs> He's got five over his career, and like you, like Jamal Adams, someone who just got traded for like two first round picks. He has, uh, I think he has one interception his whole career, and it happened last year uh, against Jared Stenham, like in the cleanup duty uh, in a Patriots Jets game. And like to see like this level of production, where like it's legitimately just uh, like legitimately great cover play from a linebacker is is just rare like even in this day and age and mm -hmm. yeah some of the uh some of the run defense hasn't been great and to be honest i don't really care about that at this point because we know who he is as a player and obviously his his positives make you make him worth keeping around i mean i thought that this year especially one of once uh you know raheem and, and jeff albrecht took a little bit more control over that defense after dq was fired like, i thought that this was one of his best seasons yeah uh, in a while where uh 
not only was it like the same production that you're seeing uh, as a as a pass defender, but you're also getting yeah he's getting used as a blitzer more than he was. And just looking yep. at his pro football reference page, he had uh, ten quarterback hits this season, four and a half sacks. Four and half, yeah. Prior to this, he had six quarterback sacks and two sacks over the la- over like the prior four years of his career. So uh, I think we're we're seeing his game evolve and expand. Maybe not in the way that you think of a, of a traditional linebacker, but that style of football that he brings has a lot of value. Uh, and you know, to get through the draft, and you're talking about like two core starters on defense and two guys that played like just a massive role in that year where they made it to the Super Bowl. Uh, yep. You're you're just hitting home runs to start off this draft class. Yeah, um, and I want to say as well for for Jones, if when you look at what you have to do in the NFL. You, first, you have to win in your division. And I look at Alvin Kamara. And what Debo has been able to do against Kamara most of the time. Now, Kamara's had some good games against Falcons, but he has also had some games where he's been virtually shut out. And that has been almost single-handedly because of Debo and his coverage and his ability to bring down Kamara and his ability to actually uh, knock the shit out of Kamara. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to me, like you said, that – you that has a tremendous amount of value, especially in today's NFL, where you've got those running backs who function as much as receivers as they do, uh, you know, out of the backfield. So, uh, I, I personally, I would take Deion Jones over a more traditional uh, run-stopping linebacker any day. Yep, I, I I feel the same way, and I think that that kind of gave us, or really gave everybody, like a like. It, how evaluations have kind of tweaked on what you expect a, a normal middle linebacker to be in, in, in this day and age. And I, I think when you look at Debo, some of the tackles obviously aren't great, but it just means a lot to have a guy who can get there in the first place. And I think that we, we missed that we were missing that with Warlow and it, it's, it was nice. Like with Debo and Devondre to be like, all right, you know, maybe the tackle won't be clean, but at least have faith that they have the the giddy up to get to spot A or spot B, wherever they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Number three, round three, pick 81 out of Stanford University. The Falcons took tight end Austin Hooper. Um, obviously, he's not with the team anymore, which uh, still pains me a little bit to say that. Um, but I – What's funny to me, Charles, is, and I, I think you've probably seen this as well, there seems to be this sort of binary analysis of players where they say, oh, um, Austin Hooper isn't Travis Kelsey, therefore he's not worth it. Um, and yeah, you know, no one's going to mistake Austin Hooper for Gronkowski or for uh, Travis Kelsey. But if you were to divide tight ends into like a tiers and you're, you, know, you consider those guys to both be at the top tier, in my, in my mind, Hooper was in that tier right next to him. And his productivity was uh, actually really good his his four years in Atlanta so what are your thoughts on uh Austin Hooper the pick the value at round three and what he meant for Atlanta in his uh four years here I mean it was all great all really great stuff and I remember like people were hard on him his first year yeah but I think what people have to understand is like tight end is a really really hard transition to make into the NFL because when you're playing college ball you know it's 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 more complex than high school ball, but it's not so complex in a way where you step on the field and you have no idea what the hell is going on. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to run as many pass plays as you do in the NFL. You're not going to run as many run plays as you do in the NFL. You don't have to remember as much. So when you make that first leap into the NFL, it's not just the fact that I'm going to up against guys who are bigger, stronger, faster, hit harder than any football player I've ever seen in my life. You're also trying to figure out, oh, you know, what's this adjustment when Matt Ryan calls out? X, Y, and Z, what I was supposed to do. Uh, and the fact that he was able to come in in like one of the more complex offenses in the league. And I think a lot of his production rookie year was, was schemed up or he was schemed open, but you, you still saw the ability to make things happen after the catch, which I think was important for him. And at the end of the day, like you ended up getting someone who's a top 10 tight end, like depending on how you want to cut it, maybe even higher than that uh, in the third round, which is obviously uh great drafting. And I think the stuff with Hooper that people kind of got tied with over, or not, not, I wouldn't even say Falcons fans, but I would say like people outside, like as he was starting to hit free agency, we were like, 
oh man, you know, uh, Austin Hooper is just a guy. Like, I don't know if you want to pay for him. Like, I, I, I just disagreed so hard with that because mm-hmm. when when you look at tight ends, the the reality of it is like there are only two elite guys in the NFL with yeah. Kelsey and Kittle. Uh, so yeah, like there's going to be a drop off from those two, especially like when the talent level isn't that deep, but. You know, if if I if I have a chance to if I need a tight end and I got a chance to sign someone like Austin Hooper, I'm gonna go for it every time, even if maybe he's not as good as, as Kelsey or Kittle. But like you also don't need him to be for him to be a really good, really good productive player uh, for for your offense. And that's kind of where where I saw a little bit of the disconnect where you know people were like, oh, you know, they can just replace Austin Hooper with anybody, and then all you <laughs> do is running short routes and and. And, you know, he's benefiting off of Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. And like, yeah, some of that's true. But also, like, there's such a, I, I guess, like, it's like a, like the NFL is kind of like a tight end desert right now, like where the Falcons have to go out and trade a second round pick just to get someone who's like of near quality to Hooper. And I think yeah. that that kind of goes to show with like how few guys there actually are that are high quality tight ends in the NFL. So when you have one, it hurts to let them go. But I'm I'm pretty pleased with what Hurst did last year, and I'm I'm interested to see how how Arthur Smith uses him this year. But as as far as Hooper goes, that that was a great pick. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't really have the space needed to sign him at the end. And based on Hooper's comments, and maybe he thought that they were gonna have some more money to sign him and bring him back, but they didn't. And it was you know a little sad to see him go. But I'm not surprised that he got the money he did in free agency. Nor do I think that it was a bad move for the Browns. Yeah, uh, and you know when you have when you have the money to sign to Dante Fowler. Uh, okay, I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> all right. um, round four, pick number one fifteen. Second time going in for this position, the Falcons took out of Minnesota linebacker Devondre Campbell. This guy, I'll rem- I'll never forget this on draft night when this uh, this happened. I think this was on a Saturday because it was day two. Um, most of us, or no, I'm de- sorry, it was day three. So this would have, yeah, it would have been a Saturday. Um, Dave, our editor, popped in the chat and he's like, um, I'm getting some word that some guy named Devondre Campbell is on the list. I'm like, what? Who is this guy? No one had a clue, at least in our circle, about him. And all he did was come in and become a starter for four years, get another contract with another team. Uh, he will end up giving the Falcons a compensatory pick in 2021 because of uh, getting signed elsewhere. Uh, and, and honestly, again, another fast linebacker that did well in coverage. Um, what are your thoughts on on Campbell and what he did here? Uh, Campbell's interesting because I kind of feel like he got worse every year from his uh, <laughs> his rookie year. Like just to keep it a buck, like because that rook or not not rookie year, but like. 2016 was all right for him. And I, to me, it was just like rookie year stuff, like where the game's just moving too fast for you. You have no right. idea what's going on. But I thought it was cool. Like, it's kind of the same thing with Debo, like where you you see the physical ability to run and hit and blitz and stuff like that. That was all there. 2017, I thought that he and Dion and Keanu were just such a fantastic trio on the second level of that defense and that they were kind of going to just going to be stalwarts here for a long time. And then it just all kind of fell off a cliff for him. Like, I don't know what the point was, but you know, there, there became a point, like there became a point where he was just like unusable in coverage. And it was just, it, it was just so weird to see like the trajectory grow up and then he just kind of hit a wall and then, and it went back down because, you know, I, I, I think at some point, like maybe during the 2017 and 2018 seasons, like you're probably looking at him as like a potential re-sign candidate down the road yeah. and that, that changed so fast but before before a fourth round pick i think you have to consider it a hit like just someone who can come in started 10 games as a rookie he added an extra dimension to your defense maybe it wasn't the most consistent dimension but it at least gave you the chance to go out there and, and collect some big plays whether it's you know a tackle for loss here or there a quarterback hit or a sack or a forced fumble uh or you know an interception like that that physical ability alone made him an enticing starter for a little bit. And I think that anytime you're starting to hit like that day three portion of the draft and you're still finding guys who are immediate starters for you and not just starters like, oh man, like we don't have anybody else so we have to start him, but like where you actually feel good about them being on the field is a win. Yeah. Even if it doesn't last for the entire four years, as you noted. Yeah. Um, and 
round six. This will probably be the last name of any significance in this draft class. Uh, out of San Jose State, pick 195, the Falcons took offensive lineman Wes Schweitzer. Still in the league. Uh, so like many of these guys, he is still playing. Um, he had such a strange career <laughs> with Atlanta. It seemed like they spent uh, you know, a couple of years trying him out and uh, getting sort of okay play not necessarily terrible but not good you know sort of like sub mediocre uh and then they spent you know years past several years trying to replace him and getting even worse play from some of the guys they've tried to replace him with uh so what are your thoughts on schweitzer and, and the career he's carved out in the nfl so far i kind of thought that schweitzer got a bad rep in atlanta like i I, I was on the board, like, if we're going to sign, you know, James Carpenter and Jamon Brown, we might as well just start Wes Schweitzer, you know? Like, right. if, if we're going to be doing – if I, like, obviously you can do better than Wes Schweitzer, but if the plan is, like, we're just going to get these mid-level guys, like, we can just save some money and in a row with Schweitzer. And I think that, looking back, they probably wish that they had they had done that because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it didn't work out post-Schweitzer. Uh, uh, and, you know, it, it's – it's like Schweitzer is interesting because, like, if you go back and like you look at like these athletic stuff, the the athletic uh, tendencies that the Falcons were running through, uh, especially early in the Dan Quinn stuff, like he played tackle at San Jose State, and mm-hmm. you know for just just being a tackle, his athletic numbers were just like above average. But when you flipped into guard, like he was you know one of the more athletic guards in that draft class. So like I see the vision for drafting him. And just kind of writing out whatever happens with him, I just kind of wish that they've been willing to give him more of a chance than to roll with, you know, two guys who, I mean, to be frank, like had never really been good ever. Uh, like I think at best, like you could say, Jamon Brown and, and James Carpenter were just like, like like stopgap type of guys, and they got legit money to come and play for the Falcons, and and oh. obviously, you know that hasn't worked out. And you know, like Schweitzer, I, th- I think is a guy like like we're gonna look back in like you know f- you know four or five years and be like, damn, like what Schweitzer played for a decade, like in the NFL, and <laughs> it, it just like he he's just one of those guys like where like he, he I think he's reached that point in his career where he's put together enough quality tape where it's like you know I'm not if I need an offensive lineman I don't want to break the bank but I still want someone that I can trust to come in and be a starter for like a year. I'll go out and sign West Schweitzer. Like he can be another team's Chris Chester, you know, and I <laughs> was uh, uh, just a little bit younger on, on that front, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, I, I, decade. yeah I, I thought, I thought West got kind of a bad rap in Atlanta. And I think that, you know, as we, as, as like your, your knowledge of the game grows as a fan, like you kind of need to have like these expectations that you put on players. Like the fact that, you're getting a sixth round offensive yep. tackle to guard convert that is good enough to start games. Like is, you know, another sign of a really strong draft. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, quite frankly, I'm, I think that what Schweitzer would be a better option than some of the stuff that Atlanta has rolled out over the past couple of years. Oh, I don't think you're going to get any argument there. <laughs> uh, all right. Final pick of this draft class in, in the seventh round, uh, wide receiver slash kick returner, Devin Fuller out of UCLA. He never ended up uh, doing much, uh, if anything. I don't even think he ever played in the regular season game for the Falcons. But uh, those first five, six picks, um, you know, five picks. Yeah, five picks. Um, that is one hell of a run. And uh, I don't know. Uh, do you feel like, you know, I, I'd said earlier, this may have been one of Dimitrov's best draft classes. Do you feel like it was his best draft class or do you feel like maybe 2008 still uh, holds the candle for him? Uh, I think it was his best draft class because, you know, in, 20, in 2008, it was just so obvious, you know, we need a quarterback. Uh, right. And the Dolphins and whoever's picking from them, I think it was the Rams. Uh, because they picked Chris Long second overall and the Dolphins picked Jake Long first overall. Like, you kind of got lucky that they were just like the NFL was still in a stage where it was like, you know, let's take an offensive tackle first overall and yeah, just do that. Like, I, I, it's, I can't even imagine a team doing that. Today. It's like, we're not, we're gonna trade down, we're gonna figure this out somewhere else. Uh, but uh, you know, you're still kind of in that age where teams are thinking like that. You got lucky that Ryan slipped to you, and you know, it was just such an obvious fit. You know, you would need a quarterback. You need a new face of the franchise. You got the best quarterback in the draft who's like legit top five talent. 
that's that's kind of like an easy pick to pull. So yeah. obviously, like you got to give him credit for making the pick, but I just think that 2016 was more impressive because you kind of had to think outside the box, like each step of the way, where mm-hmm. you you've you've already attacked free agency in an unconventional manner with, you know, we're going to give big money to a center and big money to a wide receiver too, and then you're like, all right, well, we're just going to keep rolling with this like little unorthodox <laughs> offseason. With we're going to take a safety. A strong safety, not even like a, a rangy, you know, free safety Ed Reed type. But we're going to take a box safety in the first round. We're going to take this 210-town li- linebacker. <laughs> and the third round, we're going to take this tight end from Stanford that like four of you have heard from. And all three of those guys end up as Pro Bowl talents. And yeah. then you get Devondre, who's a solid starter. Wes, who can be a, a solid starter. Like that's just to get to basically get to get three Pro Bowlers. And two solid starters out of a draft class is really impressive. And I think that, like, if you go back and you look at some of the reactions, not just from, like, national analysts, but also, like, Falcons fans, the grades on that draft class were not very high. Uh, no, they weren't. It was not. Like, as much as the success as that group of players has had in the NFL, it's not, you know, it, it's, it was the group that was like, oh, man, this, this, this draft class is the future. It was like, eh. You know, you pick the safety you can't cover. You pick the small linebacker. You pick the tight end, another linebacker. Like, I don't know what this is, but it, it, it all worked out so well. And I think the fact that outside of Devin Fuller, who was – it was injury-related for him. Like, the fact that right. 2016, that we know how long – we know how long in an NFL career is. Like, it's two or three years before you're out and you're doing something else with your life. Yeah. The fact that all these guys are still in the NFL – Deion Jones, Austin Hooper have gotten second contracts. Keanu Neal would already have his if he hadn't gotten hurt. Like that's, you know, as many griefs as there were with Dimitrov over the past few years, that twenty six that twenty sixteen draft class was a monster for them. Yeah, uh, I I agree. And like you said, two thousand eight, it was sort of no brainers. Uh, and he made this pick, these picks in the middle of the first round, the middle of the second mm-hmm. round, not not like he had a top five pick. Um, so I, I think that when you take that into consideration, it really hammers home how well uh, this draft class worked out. So taking that into consideration and the free agents that we talked about earlier, what grade would you give to Dimitrov for the, what he did in the 2016 season? <sighs> you know, it's a A plus that led to an F. Uh, <laughs> oh. it's, kind of, it's kind of hard to criticize like anything that they it, it's kind of hard to get too upset anything that happened that offseason because even in the spots like where you're overpaying for a Sanu you get the immediate satisfaction of it being a better player than what you had the year before like on the yeah. field and that that means a lot uh mm-hmm. and you know it, it's harder to work around that in later years that we've seen but just to get the guy on the field, I think matters a lot, even if the the valuation of it isn't always what you would want it to be. So I looking back, like you you gotta make risks sometimes to make these big these these powerhouse teams and and that's what they did. And uh, you know, unfortunately we know how it ended. But yeah. to, to actually put that team together uh was really impressive and uh not to just like plug my my own work on here, but if you uh if you want, if you want like Dan Quinn's thoughts on these, you can go back to the article that I wrote with him, uh, like you know, late October, early November, uh, where we talked about the 2016 offseason and and the moves that were were put in place to kind of make this team. So, uh, it, it was kind of cool to to get that from his, his like his own mouth too. Yeah, and I, that which was a great article, uh, and. Honestly, you know, Cowboys fans should probably go check that out to get to know uh, DQ a little bit better because, uh, you know, he has now moved on to be their defensive coordinator, uh, which is very interesting. So, Charles, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast to review this 2016 season. It was a lot of fun. I I had fun talking about this season. I didn't uh, remember a lot of these guys. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, what you have going on? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Four Verts. Uh, right now, I'm working for For the Win. Uh, it's a sports website with USA Today. Uh, doing really, really fun, good work with uh, my buddy and my colleague uh, Stephen Ruiz. You can follow him on Twitter at the Stephen Ruiz. We have a, uh, a podcast called The Counter, uh, which we record every Monday and Thursday, and it comes out later that day. And also now, uh, Stephen and I have been doing Madden simulations on. Uh, for the wins twitch page which i tweet out 
uh, 4 p.m. Eastern every Thursday. So if you want to come and nice. watch me watch me beat Steven's ass in Madden because I'm a 2-0 <laughs> now against him, uh, we'll, we'll usually just pick one of the playoff matchups. We'll play through it. Uh, we'll talk about some of the matchups that we like and use the game to kind of, you know, break that down even further. And then we take uh, uh, questions from the people watching the stream. So it's a lot of fun and definitely come check that out with us. Awesome. Uh, as for you guys, you can follow me on Twitter at FalcoholicBW. Updates for our podcast at FalcoholicPod. And of course, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Charles McDonald, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.